Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Emily McCormick, the animal curator at Turpentine Creek Wildlife Refuge, located in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Turpentine Creek provides a home for about 100 big cats and bears, but since its launch three decades ago, Turpentine Creek has assisted law enforcement and the court system in rescuing over 500 animals nationwide, presenting them lifelong care. McCormick has worked at the sanctuary for nearly a quarter century, accumulating more than enough colorful experiences and observations and stories to fill a book. And I can attest she's a compelling storyteller, having heard her presentation at the recent PAWS International Captive Wildlife Conference. In our conversation today, I hope to explore some of the issues McCormick addressed in that talk, many dealing with the rescue seizure efforts that have brought a number of the animals to the sanctuary. One topic she mentioned that I really hope to delve into is what rescuers and animals go through mentally. Along with these explorations, we'll ask Emily to tell her story and the Turpentine Creek story as well. And all that's when I speak with Emily in just a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, I'll speak with Jennifer Renner, the Community Outreach and Volunteer Program Manager at Pinellas County Animal Services, who will tell us about the shelter's Adopt-A-Senior Pet campaign as it heads into its final week. We'll ask Renner to outline the virtues of adopting a senior pet, which, while this campaign lasts through November 30th, can be done at a greatly reduced adoption fee. More on this later in today's program. Right now, though, let's discuss rescue big cats, not to mention the rescue of big cats, and more with Emily, with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Emily McCormick on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Emily. Morning, Duncan. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Really excited to talk to you. In fact, I feel like I have so much to cover with you. We'll probably have to both talk super fast to get it all in. But yeah. um, as I told you, I talk a lot anyway. So well, same same here. Especially today, I feel like I, I really want to hit so many things, and uh, you know, we might hit, hit time space continuum difficulty, but we'll we'll worry about that later. So, for example, I'm really hoping to hear the Turpentine Creek story, which directly overlaps much of the Emily McCormick story, since, as I said, you've been there nearly 25 years. So we'll get to those in a moment or two. But first, can I ask you to kind of trace the path of how you got to Turpentine Creek? What, 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 what led you to that those nearly 25 years ago? Yeah, uh, well, really, since I was a kid, I, I was infatuated with tigers, you know, um, and I always told my parents when I... When I get older, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work with tigers, and I'm going to help save them. And um, that led me to um, going to uh, SUNY Oswego University in upstate New York and got my zoology degree. And um, as I was going through, there was a flyer for this internship at, at Turpentine Creek um, working with all these big cats that they were rescuing. 
And so, hence, I applied and got the internship, and, and honestly, I've been here ever since. So, um, it has been quite the journey, uh, for sure, and um, went from being an intern to now the animal curator. And um, to be honest, yeah, I, I knew that, you know, wild tigers' numbers were getting low, and how, how could we help save the tiger? But when I uh, first learned of the sanctuary and rescuing and the big cat crisis, an exotic animal crisis in this country, I was blown away. And so I thought, I'm going to, you know, I want to stay and help all these cats and, of course, give them a better life in which we were doing and expanding and, and building habitats. And, and every time we would expand and, and create more space, well, sadly, you get the call. And um, there's another animal that needs to be rescued. So it's just been kind of a never-ending cycle for, for all the sanctuaries out there that are rescuing animals. Yeah. Well, let me back up for a sec because I, I, because it's such a clear path, which is not necessarily usual, I found at least, in people that work with animals in one capacity or another. So how old were you when you said to your, your family, hey, I love tigers, which you probably already know, but I'm going to go work with them and save them. I mean, that's a pretty bold uh, claim, which, of course, was absolutely realized later. But I'd just be curious to know how young you were when you first said, well, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah, I was probably 10 or 12. Wow. Uh, and um, I just loved animals. I mean. Yeah. And why, why uh, I sound like you liked all animals, but why, why at that point, why as a 10-year-old did you identify tigers as the ones that you were going to particularly go out and, and work with and help? Because it sounds like that was a key part of your pledge there was like, I'm going to yeah. help these animals. Learning about, you know, endangered animals in, in school. And, um, I mean, as, as we know, there's a lot of people that love tigers. But uh, just just hearing their numbers decline and, you know, our, our school did a lot on, um, you know, what animals are endangered and what we should be doing to help them and things like that. And it just, they're, I love big cats and Tigers being my favorite, and I thought, uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help save them. So now, uh, I've, I've posted at least one or two pictures of you with, with a lion, so I hope the lions yeah. don't get wind of the fact that they're kind of uh, <laughs> not exactly the favorites. But uh, yeah. so we Currently, we have 94 animals here at Turpentine Creek, so um, 84 of them are big cats, and oh, over half of that um, are tigers. But uh, the lions, of course, stole my heart as well, and, and, and all of them in their own way, even, even the bobcats and African servals. Yeah. So looking back now after, indeed, fulfilling your pledge that came at 10 years old and working with tigers, and you've been doing that and other cats, obviously, ever since, looking back now, like, what were the qualities? I mean, it sounded like you got, uh, your school had great education about sort of the tiger's plight. But what, what really drew you, what, what really accounted for your sort of profound connection to them in particular, if you had to look back with what you kind of now know? Meaning when I was a child or from the beginning of my career here? Well, I mean, actually both I think I'd be interested to know, especially because if that probably shifted in some ways. But I'd just be curious to know what drew you to them early on, and especially now knowing what you know, maybe, you know, what, what draws you to them now? Uh, having done all that experience and learned everything you've learned, I mean, I when, when I was younger, they were they were huge. They're fierce. They're yeah. beautiful. They're majestic. Right. Um. You know, and and it's sad. Was sad to see their 
population numbers declining um, and and people being a big a big reason for that you know they're they're being poached they were, we're taking their land um, things like that um, I just understood that as, as a as a young person and and then coming you know to the sanctuary um, and you start to build connections with the animals that you rescue um, even though it is a dangerous big cat it there's still um, an emotional connection I think from the moment of rescue till you know sadly uh, the end of their life um, and now I've been at the sanctuary um, there's there's no animal here that was here before me so um, I feel really connected to each of them in, in every way yeah and so, you know, as a kid, do you think that you were sort of precocious in the way that, I mean, because again, all kinds of kids like big cats and like tigers and whatever, but they don't necessarily identify with some of the things you did even as a 10-year-old. So it sounds like you were kind of sophisticated in that way to see. Yeah, I, um, my, my mother would hate me saying this, but, you know, I didn't have pets growing up. Um and, and I was just infatuated with animals, and so I made it also a goal in, in life as a child to train everyone, dog and cat, in the neighborhood to come to my yard. Okay. Um, just so I could be around animals, and I feel like when I was a kid, I think I just um, connected with animals in a different way, uh, more special even than, than people. Yeah, and it sounds like some of that was maybe a little bit of the deprivation. It sounds like animals, just or pets, at least weren't simply weren't allowed in the house. Is that kind of the family? Yeah, rule? yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah, you know. no, you've made up for lost time. I'd say. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is talking animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Emily McCormick, the animal curator at Turpentine Creek Wildlife Refuge, a sanctuary in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, housing. Uh, 94 animals, including big cats and bears, and they've also helped uh, officials in rescuing over 500 animals over the years, providing them lifelong care. And she's worked there, Emily, herself, for nearly 25 years at, at this point. So if you have a question for Emily about big cats, uh, bears, we don't want to give bears short shrift, um, right. or would like to offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So if someone walked up to you right now and, and, and asked about Turpentine Creek Wildlife Refuge, what are the first three things you would want them to know? Uh, so, well, you had mentioned Turpentine Creek is located in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, um, and we are one of the largest um, GFAS, that's the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. We are one of the largest accredited um, sanctuaries and uh, that's open to the public. And we're very big on public education and trying to change um, the future for uh, kids learning and, and going out and becoming advocates themselves, not only for the big cats, but for all animals. Um, it's a beautiful area in the Ozark Mountains. This is, um, you know, I, I kind of joke about it, but we're celebrating 30 years of rescuing animals, which is an amazing, amazing thing. At the same time, uh, we talked about it at the conference. I mean, um, really, true sanctuary should not have to exist because these animals shouldn't be in the situations they are. Yeah. So it's like a celebration of we reached 30 years, but at the same time, 
my gosh, you know, when's this going to end? So, um, yeah, we encourage people to come out and visit and get educated and, and advocate and um, be a part of this fight to help stop this crisis. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned that uh, I think this might be a good time to explore is um, that you're accredited and part of this GFAS thing. Because in the realm of sanctuaries, especially those maybe housing big cats, uh, as some of us have learned, uh, if we didn't already know, some are more legit than others, um, as at least probably suggested in some of the various uh, sensational t- TV shows, etc. So for someone interested in visiting a sanctuary featuring big cats and interested in supporting an authentic enterprise versus contributing to the, to the, the problem that we're, we're trying to fight, what are the hallmarks of a legit sanctuary? Yeah, do your homework for sure before you go. I mean, everyone's got that cell phone in their hand, and you can you can Google that that facility. Go to their website, see if they're accredited. You know, those accreditations are uh, very important. It's it's when to be accredited, you're reaching the absolute highest standards for those animals, um, and then some. You know, everybody even tries to go above and beyond that. So uh, that's that's number one. It's that's easy. Just you know. Everybody has a phone. Um, second, if they're doing any sort of public contact, uh, especially with cubs, cub petting, that this is not a legit place. These are the people that we fight against. This is the change that has to stop. This is why we advocate for the Big Cat and Public Safety Act. Um, and we should point out for people listening who may not know, I mean, probably most people at this point do know, but cub petting is when you go somewhere and you pay X amount of dollars and then you get to hang out and pet, you know, tiger cubs, basically. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a horrible business in so many ways, including for what it does to the tigers and just the, you know, acceleration okay. of, of breeding of tigers. And anyways, a lot of problems. So it's it's super complicated and, and, and pretty dark uh, enterprise. Yes, it's, it's horrendous what the cats go through. And that's um, all the way from the female being speed bred. Um, I talked about a tiger that, you know, had, we know of that had four litters of, of cubs um, in, in less than 15 months. I mean, that's just absurd uh, when they would yes. stay with their mother in the wild for two, two and a half years. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I say all species now, Duncan, because there's a lot of places that this has stopped, and now we're seeing we're still seeing it with bears and bear cubs. We're seeing it with sloths. We're seeing it. So, so any type of pay to have to touch this animal is just it's not legit. Don't wow. That, and not, yeah, that you know, and you're giving it to crooks. That's what they are. You know, they're they're people that are legitimately making money off of these animals and they're not doing anything to save them. And not only not doing anything to save them like you've suggested, they they have to breed them like as fast as they can to 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 get more product basically for yeah, lack of a better term. Going. Yeah. That's right. Yikes. So um so uh, you know that uh, get it gets a, might get a little blurry for people who don't know, and especially sounds like the accreditation thing is is pivotal because, I mean, any any place like like your own that has that many mouths to feed and what you're feeding them is is no cheap date. So we're talking um, about a lot of revenue or uh, somehow income necessary to kind of keep going. 
So how does the sanctuary navigate the line between protecting animals from crowds of people <clears throat> sort of parading by their enclosure, which at times can be a bit zoo-like, and, and yet generating the revenue they need to cover their ongoing costs by allowing people to visit and having, you know, again, an educational component that's, that's, that's real? Yeah, so uh, what we do here, we have all guided tours. Um, so there's a little area to gather in um, where we start the education portion, and then they go out on a tour, a riding tour, around about a half a mile loop, um, discussing each animal's story, uh, where they came from, why they're here, um, you know, how they adjusted, because a lot, every story is different for each animal. Um and so, of course, we've had animals that uh, do not like the public um, or need special attention. Uh, so we do have a very uh, large portion of our facility that is closed. Okay. Um, we do a very quiet private tours down there um, that are offered as well. That also all that funding and, and being opened, um, you know, is a big portion of, of taking care of those animals. When they come to a sanctuary, it's a lifetime that, you know, they're here. this is their life. Um, they're not transferred anywhere else. They're, you know, true sanctuaries don't buy, sell, breed. Um, and so, right, being a nonprofit, like all the sanctuaries, it's, it's when you do a rescue um, and, and you talk about it, everybody is willing to jump in and donate right then and there to help you with that rescue. Um, but we have to remember that these animals, hopefully, are going to be at the sanctuary for 20 years. And, and that cost over the 20 years per animal is astronomical, you know. So um, it's one way uh, of bringing in revenue for the animals, but also we feel education is just so, so important. Yeah. Um, you can... And we need to tell their story so that when people leave here, they can go tell their story, and one step at a time, hopefully we can change the world. And also, uh, along the way, neutralize some of the, uh, you know, sensational and just generally incorrect information that uh, can pop up through uh, more nefarious operations and, and yeah. suggest uh, a different set of information that that can only be corrected by a place like yours and, and the educational element of that. So, so important. And, uh, but are there other sources too? Because I mean, I'm sure, uh, those, uh, those tours and I know you guys have some opportunities for people to actually stay. Yeah. On we the have lodging, uh, on site, yeah. um, which we call, uh, Africa in the Ozarks. So it's beautiful views of the Ozark Mountains, um, and you get to listen to the lions caroling all, all night. So all the proceeds from that also go back to help the animals. That's great. Um, and then we just have wonderful, wonderful donors um, that maybe came through one time and understand the mission and have become, you know, reoccurring donors. Uh, we have adoption sponsorship programs where people like to pick their favorite animal. Obviously, you don't take them home. But um, to support that specific animal throughout the year. And all of that is, um, and our website's phenomenal. So all of that information, um, you can go to pcwr.org or turpentinecreek.org. 
and uh, check out our advocacy education and, and yeah, come stay with us. So um, we've talked a little bit about uh, the rescue efforts and again, helping sort of uh, authorities, officials, legal entities, one kind or another with rescues. And, and I guess what many cases or most cases maybe even amounts to like seizures, right? Where there's um, some kind of operation of one kind or another that's, uh, n- you know, bad, horrible, negative. Yeah. Uh, and so then th- those whatever that agency is or whatever says, hey, we're going to go. I guess, raid these people or arrest these people, whatever. But we're going to need a place for the cats once that happens to go. So is that, can you, can you just walk us through how, how some of those things work? Like, uh, like yeah. a, maybe a recent uh, case in particular or just a notable one? Yeah. Let me give everybody a little bit of a background because honestly, um, so years and years and years ago, you know, the, these animals, um, somehow got into the private hands. We won't go there, but, People started breeding and selling them for money, and it became a massive, massive money-making industry. And, um, you know, we had Siegfried and Roy, Michael Jackson, Mike Tyson, all these people sensationalizing the white tiger, so that became even more money. And so, like everything, because, because there weren't enough laws regulating, or any laws, for, and in fact, in a lot of cases, more and more people started doing it. So just like everything... A product starts not having as much value. So fast forward, people were buying tiger and lion cubs for $500 or maybe a little bit more exotic animal auctions, which were horrible at one point, still exist. Um, not so much, you know, selling of the big cats. So then it became an enormous problem because people had tigers in their backyard in horrible conditions. They didn't know how to take care of them. Uh, there was a lot, plenty of injuries, um, and so those were a lot of the calls we would get, honestly, in the, in the 30 years towards the beginning. It was, you know, I have this tiger. I don't know what to do with it. Mm. Um, so fast forward in 2016, uh, so then the money became the cub petting, right? All these places started offering cub petting, stealing the cubs from their, the females, and handing them to the public so they could make money. We ran into a facility, um, and that's me being nice calling it a facility because <laughs> we are on the air. Um, Thank that you. Was doing this and making upwards of nine to ten thousand dollars per day on cubs. Uh, uh. So unbelievable! So that started blowing up, um, and there had been some massive rescue efforts over the years. In 2016, we partnered with another organization and actually purchased a facility. Um, a roadside zoo, if you will, in Colorado, just so we could shut it down. Yeah, I, I thought I think that's such a fascinating story because it's such a, on the one hand, seems like such a drastic step to take, mm-hmm. and yet like the ideal solution, really, because other then then it's done, and you Absolutely. you don't have to mess around with like, well, you promised you'd do this, and this didn't happen, and then there's animals back yeah. in. And, and it was and it was an undertaking, you know. Of course, we had to take care of all those animals. Um, we worked with fourteen other facilities um, so that they could all be rescued. But that took six months. Some facilities had to build enclosures, um, and so I think it did a lot of things. Um, at that point, we had all had a, a conference, and that's when we decided to form the Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance, which Turpentine Creek is a is a founding member of. 
excuse me, in fact, I'm going to be the the chair of the alliance uh, in 2023. And so that was awesome because now all the reputable sanctuaries started working together. Yeah. So um, if you get a call on 20 cats or 68, which we'll get to in a minute, um, then there's enough of us that are ready, boots on the ground, to go and take care of that. I think it actually may have shown the government a little bit of, like, maybe we could be harder on these bad places, and maybe we could enforce some more things, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, because these these reputable facilities are now working together. Um, and these rescues are, are dangerous situations. Like, that one was. I mean, there's tigers and nine-foot-tall fences, you know, with a little piece of wire wrapped around the top. I mean, these cats have been climbing to the top of their enclosures. In fact, we know of escapes that had happened there when it snowed. It's Colorado. Mm. And there'd be four foot of snow drifts, and, and they'd just jump out. So safety is a really, really big issue on the rescues. Um, and then we had COVID, and then Tiger King came out, um, and everybody was stuck inside um, and watched it. And it was infuriating. Because what a missed opportunity where we could have discussed the exploitation of these cats, the um, abuse. Um, Most people missed that because they sensationalized Joe Exotic and all of these other guys that were in it, Jeff Lowe, Tim Stark, you know. Yeah. And, um, but then, all of a sudden... That went worldwide. So I think, you know, the United States looked kind of dumb, in my opinion. Like, how is this happening? How right. are there this many cats being abused like this and in captivity in these horrendous um, institutions, you know? Um, so they started to take action. And, in fact, PETA was already um, starting a case on, on Tim Stark in uh, Indiana, and the state got involved. We were involved in the federal side of it um, with with PETA and another sanctuary. And so that was the first time I felt pretty safe on a rescue because the U.S. Marshals had to come in, the SWAT team. You know, these people that have these animals are more dangerous sometimes than the cats themselves, in yeah. my opinion. So um, it's been, we've seen them. a lot of them go down. We know Joe's in prison. Um, Tim sat in jail cell for a little bit. Um, but they were watching these guys that were in this no longer have animals. So then we get to the big seizure of 68 cats from Jeff and Lauren Lowe. Um, and that was the Department of Justice finally made that step to get those animals away from those people. So again, SWAT team, U.S. Marshals, um, you know, there was, I think, 12 or 13 sanctuaries that um, were able to go in on that rescue, and it was very, very hush-hush. It was a seizure. Um, you know, we were placed throughout uh, surrounding towns so that they wouldn't get word that we were coming in, and it was very, uh, very well organized with uh, one of the sanctuaries in the Department of Justice. Um, we were called in two weeks prior by the Department of Justice to rescue five, or, yeah, five cats, four possibly pregnant females, um, one of the, which 
was pregnant and gave birth to three cubs 12 days later. Hmm. But they knew of um, the hospital on site here at Turpentine Creek and the skills that we have and what we've what we've accomplished um, rehabbing and saving younger cubs in the past. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely turned into a different type of rescue the last couple of years. And it's been a really great thing to see, um, to see the government stepping up now um, and also to see the sanctuaries working together. So a few things uh, uh, about that, Emily. One is that... Um it sounds like as kind of horrid as Tiger King was initially, that it swung around from what you're saying and had a positive impact ultimately because of how bad it made the U.S. And, and the people that are charged with those kind of responsibilities looking after animals and, and this yeah, kind of... it may have. It, yeah. it, it definitely may have. You know, I'm still not a, a supporter of it. And, yeah. You know, um, and Carol Baskin of Big Cat Rescue, I mean... That was just horrendous, the, the things that were talked about in there. And she's been the biggest advocate for big cats um, and louder than any of us over the years, you know. Um, and so, yeah, just a missed, op- missed opportunity, but yet um, we, we've seen a change. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty something to celebrate, you know, that, that hopefully we are going to see an end to this. Well, that's that's really encouraging, and also it's interesting that, like, when it's something as massive as, as seizing that those sixty eight cats, <coughs> excuse me, does whoever kind of is organizing that sort of look at the cats, look at the situation, at least to the extent they can, you know, understand it or, or identify things about the, the animals that they're going into to seize, and then sort of figure out, okay, well, under these circumstances, these cats actually would be ideal. Uh, to go to Turpentine Creek just because they do have a hospital on, on site or they, they've had this kind of experience. So do they, they almost sort of divvy up the cats based on the sanctuaries and sort of, sort of facilities they have and or expertise that they have that might be slightly different in, ter- in terms of at least the facilities than the next sanctuary that's part of this group? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they do go in looking at that. Um, you know, sadly, um, there, there's been cases within the, some of these bigger cases that the animals need major, major veterinary care. Um, and so, yeah, they've reached out to see, you know, have you had a case like this? You know, do you have an on-site hospital with a recovery area? Can, you know, can this cat be, be saved? Um, and so, yeah, they definitely go through, you know, who has what, not, not just space availability, um, but... Yeah, they look at where animals, you know, it's going to be best suited for them um, because every sanctuary is a little bit different. For sure. Yeah. Again, this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Emily McCormick, the animal curator at Turpentine Creek Wildlife Refuge, a sanctuary in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, housing 94 animals, uh, big cats and, uh, and bears as well. We invite you to join this conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So when those, those five cats you just mentioned or just others like them uh, come to the sanctuary, I mean, like you say, a lot of them probably need most immediately veterinary care, but what about their, their emotional healing? How, how does that 
How does that take place? Is that just a matter of time and kind of a new set of circumstances and, and you know, an environment where people aren't trying to, um, you know, mess with them in one way or another and just starting to sort of rebuild um, their their life or, or their trust, at least in terms of... Yeah. Yeah, every, every situation has definitely been different. Um, I usually am on, on all of these rescues. It's really important because... Um, I'm going to develop the plan when they get back to the sanctuary of how we can get them rehabilitated into trusting people again um, and make sure that they have the most comfortable life. So I, like them, I never forget where they came from. Yeah. And I, I try to imagine what they went through. Like one case in particular, we were able to acquire records so we knew this poor cat not only had four litters of cubs ripped from her and used for cub petting in a 15-month time. But prior to that, she was uh, sitting in roll cages, you know, waiting to go into the next magic show in Vegas, a magician named Dirk Arthur. And so imagine the, and, and then I just dive into trying to find, like, can I find photos and videos of these cats and what they went through? Sort of re- reconstructing kind of some of their... Some of yeah. the, what they were subjected to to help figure out what to... Absolutely. Sort of, yeah. You know, she has a re- had a real big issue with being confined, and, and that would be why. Sure. Um, so let's do everything that we can moving forward to make sure um, she doesn't feel, you know, that confinement again, that, um, that suspicion of people. Um, and, and, and in her case, it took eight months. You know, some of them, um, it, it might take two weeks. It might take two months. You know, you just don't know. Um, we rescued a lion out of a barn in Oklahoma this past June. Uh, lions are social animals. We know for a fact that she was alone in that barn for seven years. Ugh. It was just a jail cell row of cages. Um, a, a, Concerned citizen was helping out and and um, feeding her, um, but she had the the roof had been ripped off and it was just this tin just slamming. Um, it was damaged from a really bad storm or a tornado, and then I don't even know how many yards was the was a highway. So here, imagine seven years of all these vehicles going by and there's just this single lioness uh. in that barn. We couldn't even hear ourselves talk. And it was I so still loud. don't think her hearing's the greatest. Yeah. And probably because of that. But she was just lost. I mean, just blank. Yeah. It wasn't even the fact of I'm going to be aggressive because I'm scared. She was just blank. Uh, and I... that was the first time I've ever seen a lion like that. Um, but within almost three weeks, uh, she was loving life. And wow. so active. And uh, loves everyone, uh, loves the tiger's neighbors that she has, and is very vocal. Um, it took her about, I think, two months to start caroling with all the other lions here. Um, and so, you know, she's living her best life now. But, wow, that's great. So, yeah, every, every situation is different for, sure. for those, those cats, you know. And, um, yeah, I just try to replay what we could do any and we will do whatever we have to even if it's 
you know, drive a vehicle a totally different way or go shift that cat first or, you know, anything we have to to make their life the best. Right. All right. I have some definitely follow-up questions to that, but let's take a call. Uh, hi, you're on Talking Animals with Emily McCormick. Hello. Carol Baskin. I am so excited that you're on the show. I was just, I went out and drove around in my car just so I could listen to you. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, Carol. How you doing? Great. And I want everybody to know I have been to Turpentine Creek, and it is spectacular. Your hospital is like none other I have ever witnessed. And Eureka Springs is such a cool little town that if you're thinking about traveling and you love animals, that is the place to go and check out what they're doing there. And Carol, what 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 uh, distinguishes the hospital since you're citing that in particular? Their hospital is huge, and they came up with the best squeeze cage idea that I have ever seen in my life. And we actually implemented it with our wild bobcats in rehab here, so that we can move them from one side to the other. But it, it's just, you can drive a truck into it, which is important when you're driving in a 700 pound cat. Wow. Thank you. So innovations, amongst other things, sounds like are notable about the hospital. And the staff there. I mean, Emily, is if you're ever going to any of the Sanctuary Alliance um, or PAWS or any of those kinds of conferences, you want to go sit at the table where Emily is because she is so much fun <laughs> and has so many stories. <laughs> Thanks, Carol. Yeah, that, that's uh, true. I was, I was really struck by her presentation, and that's... Uh, I wanted to get her on the show as soon as possible for some of those very reasons. So that's great, Carol. Thank you so much for calling. Happy to. Congratulations Thanks, on Carol. Thanks for being an advocate. Thanks, Carol. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So what, like the, the line you just mentioned that was by itself and uh, subject to like crazy loud traffic and for all those years, I mean, with that one or some other one that you might want to randomly pick out, what are the first signs of healing? Because it sounded like that lion healed relatively quickly given what it had been subjected to for years. Yeah. So yeah. What, do you, what when you first see something, you think, okay, we're getting there. This, is, this, looks, this looks promising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for that tiger that took a long time, um, I would spend time out there each day uh, watching her eyes, watching the way her ears moved at different um, sounds, at different movement. And so pretty much do that with each of them. Um, so for that lion, I started to see her ear kind of listening to the other lions. Mm. Um, she, we, we would feed her and, and our interns would feed her and, and move on. Give her as much space as, as you can. But... I was always watch, you know, watch from a distance. And so then you saw her actually pay attention to the tiger that lives next door, Detroit, her buddy. Yeah. And, um, and then she started coming out of her den. Uh, we knew she was coming out in the evenings when no one was around. Um, but, and then she would lay there. And then she was just watching the interns bring her her food, and she never said anything. You know, she didn't respond, really, you know, but she was paying attention and watching the routine. Um, and so she, I'm sure, was like, hey, these people are great. They're cleaning, and I get clean water every day and twice a day, and, here, and I get this awesome food. And, um, yeah, then 
Things are looking up. Exploring, you know, and yeah. we, we first noticed her rubbing on the fence. Now, there's a good 12-foot distance in between her enclosure and the tiger, but she was rubbing on the fence, showing affection, you know, towards that cat. And um, and then I had, I quote-unquote went on vacation, but came back a little early and had to go check on her, and next thing I know, she's running, trotting through her habitat just to come say hello. Wow. And doing this friendly greeting that lions do to each other, this puffing and uh, rubbing on the fence. And we're a strict no-contact facility, but she was showing, like, affection towards us, you know. Yeah. And um, that's pure happiness. That's that's pure success um, that she's going to have a great rest of her life, however long it may be. That's great. All right, well, let's take another uh, call. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Emily McCormick. Yeah, hi, my name's Paul. Hey, Paul. Just a question, are, do you try to rehab them to ever release them in the wild? Um, sadly, there's not a program like that, obviously, for, for the, the big cats that aren't native. Um, big Cat Rescue does that for bobcats. Um, well, I mean, take them over to Asia. wildlife, but the most, you know, the, in the native species, they're so dependent already on humans um, oh. and imprinted by humans that the, the rehab for them is, is, is impossible and that's when they come to a sanctuary for life. So there's no turning back? Not, not really. Uh, sadly, some of them have been declawed, so they, they you know, they lose well. that defense. Um, if they were, they weren't ever you know, with their moms to, to learn how to go get that prey, even though some instinct will catch, you know, they would catch on to um, if they were unable to get food, of course, the first place they're going to turn to is a human. Okay. Okay, thank you so much for your call. Appreciate it. Yeah. Good question. Thank Thanks. Bye. So, Emily, we're sadly kind of nearing the end of our time, and, and um, one of the things we're kind of on, and I want to maybe explore just in our last moment or two that we do have left here is kind of Again, as as the animals heal and and the connection that you make with them, um, I mean, while caring for these big cats, they're as we've noted now often rescued from dire, horrible circumstances. So the work obviously really regularly touches your heart, and I'm sure not infrequently breaks your heart. So if it's not too personal, can I ask you to talk a little bit about the kinds of um, self care or whatever you want to call it that you use to keep yourself from getting too ground down or tapped out over nearly 25 years? Yeah, it, it's, it's very difficult. I'm, I'm not going to lie. You know, a lot of, a lot of people in this, in this field suffer from compassion fatigue. Yeah. Sometimes even post-traumatic stress, you know. Um, when you go in and, and risk your life, um, and, and I mean a lot of times that the rescuers were risking our lives, you know, a tiger's in a six-foot-tall enclosure that could jump out or the wall could fall down at any moment. Yeah. Um, but I try to, I guess, my big thing is immersing myself in their world. Um, so, and, and live through, um, like, Lady, that lion, you know? Because if you you saw what she came from and, and your heart broke for her, yeah. and now you see the way she's living then that's just a reward in itself. Um, do you forget? No, I never forget. 
but I always remember that the animals don't either. So, yeah. you know, but when you know you made a difference, um, sadly, you know there's more to come. So you got to be ready and there for the next animal that needs you. Well, that's what I mean. I, I just wonder, like, if there's, over these years, you've developed cer- certain techniques to kind of steal yourself, saying, oh, my God, I'm so thrilled to see the progress this one over here has made, but I, I, we're just finishing up a, a rescue that's going to bring, you know, three more here that have been yeah. treated like, horribly, and and just seems like the the continuous nature of that would just, it would, it would have to wear on you and your emotions. Absolutely. It does. It, it absolutely does. Um I just, you know, try to try to surround myself with positivity. Yeah. One, one thing I established here years ago, even for all of our interns and, and staff, that every day at the end of the day, before you go home, I want you to, we all go around and say something positive that happened because um, negativity can overpower you. Sure. And we have to focus on, on the positive things. And... Um, yeah, and I try to um, try to leave some of that stuff behind. And I have two rescue dogs and a rescue cat, and they're my world. And uh, and just have fun with them, and um, you know, try to try to leave some work at work because yeah, you can't um, you can't carry it all the yeah. time. It, it is emotional, um, but I just try to concentrate on those successes, you know. For sure. Well, it also sounds like a great ritual for everybody to gather and, and say something positive that happened that day and just sort of have that be the, yeah. the, the note on yeah. which they end their that day. That pro- yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Well, Emily, I'm sorry we have reached the end of our time, but we've been speaking with Emily McCormick from Turpentine Creek Wildlife Refuge. Uh, the website is turpentinecreek.org and uh, on all of your social media spots by just searching Turpentine Creek. So, Emily, thank you so much for joining us on Talk Animals, and thank you for everything you've done for uh, all our cat friends and and our bear friends, which, again, we didn't spend as much time talking about. Maybe next time we'll cover some more bear stuff. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Duncan, for having me on. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks again. In a moment, I'll speak with Jennifer Renner of Pinellas County Animal Services about the shelter's Adopt a Senior Pet campaign, about how you, you, you can adopt a senior pet at a greatly reduced rate at the moment. Excellent opportunity. This conversation is coming up in just mere moments right now that we're going to step into the comedy corner. This is Matt Bronger with a piece called Panda Butler in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Do you guys know what the secret is? It's a book that uh, was trumpeted by Oprah that uh, uh, is very big in Los Angeles, uh, very big with uh, actor spiritualists, I like to call them, which is basically when you just want the universe to give you everything you want in a really selfish manner, and you want to be a star, you want to be an entertainment weekly, and you pray for the wrong things. That's all that is. But I'm not knocking it. Look, I think positive visualization is a handy tool, and it's good. It's good to stay positive. When you're negative all the time, it's, it doesn't help you at all. But I, I don't necessarily believe in the secret, but I'm an, I don't know. I don't know. It might work. Asking the universe for something might work. So I'm going to try it right now. I'm going to try the secret and see if it works, okay? So I am going to throw out right now what I want from the universe and hope that I, that I get it. So here we go, okay? Panda butler! That's all I want. That's all I want a panda that is also a butler. That's it. 
I want a panda that walks on his hind legs and often fails and tries to be my butler. Walks in while I'm watching TV with a tray of champagne flutes, which he will drop. <laughs> Granted, he will drop them, but he'll try. Walks in. <laughs> it's okay, Clive. You're still my man. High five. Actually, any bear that won't kill me. That's all I want, right? I will rubberize my home wherever he wants, right? Just as long as he does. Like, can you imagine just sitting and watching TV with a bear that is also sitting and his little belly is going up and down with his breathing? His bear belly? You can put stuff on it, like a tray of cheese and crackers, and he occasionally just yells and you love it because it feels like commentary, right? You're right, dude. Jersey Shore is the end of all civilization. High five. That was Matt Bronger in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Panda Butler, taken from his album Shovel Fighter. Now it's time to speak with Jennifer Renner from Pinellas County Animal Services about their Adopt a Senior Pet campaign. It's the final week. Thanksgiving is tomorrow. It's the perfect time to adopt a senior and for an adoption rate that, well, you can't afford really not to adopt, it seems like. This is Jennifer Renner on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Jennifer. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. So let's jump right in to Adopt a Senior Month. Uh, tell us how it works. Well, so first of all, it's hard to see any dog or cat here in a shelter situation, uh, but it's even harder to see a senior because they've had so many years with a family and in a home. And um, so we're, we love, obviously, months like this where their awareness is, is, is shown onto um, something like these senior pets. So Adopt-A-Senior Month is going on all through the end of November, $5 to, to adopt. That includes all the vaccines, the microchip, the license, and I always say with the seniors, you know, what you see is what you get. You come in here, you're looking for a dog or a cat to match your lifestyle. And these seniors, you see their personality, their energy level. And, um, you know, nothing's better than that look of gratitude and, and adoration from these guys. Well, so let's talk a little bit more specifically about, um, you know, for those listening who might have been thinking, hey, you know what, maybe it's time for us to adopt an animal, but maybe they weren't necessarily thinking about a senior. Let's talk about the virtues of senior pets because they are, they are plentiful. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, like I was saying, you, you get to see their personality when you come in here. Um, there's no guessing game there. Their energy level is um, generally a little bit lower. You know, you're not, you're not getting that wild puppy phase. Um, and I won't say that if you're active, if you're an active family, don't overlook a senior because some of them really, they still love their daily run or their walks around the trail, but their energy level is definitely a little bit lower. They're past that puppy destructive stage most of the time, uh, so they're not going to be chewing on everything. Um, but our seniors, uh, just so many great, great qualities to these guys. Yeah. And right now I've got one on my couch just snoozing away and, and being the perfect office companion. And by the way, what, what, what age uh, defines a senior pet? When, when do they sort of reach that uh, uh, age? Where the, you know, what constitutes being a senior pet for and it's different for all sizes. You know, your okay. larger breeds, they become a senior a little bit younger. So mm -hmm. we're running a special right now for any pet five years of age and older is the special for senior adoption month. And that's $5 again for the the adoption fee. Okay. Um, but for your smaller dogs, they're not seniors until they're hitting um, eight, sometimes nine years old. Yeah. Seven is the average. Okay. Well, that's good to know. My, uh, 
mother-in-law under a program I think is really cool too that that where this thing where seniors adopt seniors so oh yeah so she uh, went in and, and adopted like a sort of a nice Chihuahua mix that was actually sixteen wow and lived to nineteen and they had a great great life for those uh, three years exactly. and um, it's just it, to me it, there's just so many cool things about a, a senior pet so really want to urge people to consider that and again it's you know, hard to imagine a better set of circumstances than this remaining week that the uh, Pinellas County Animal Services has their Adoptive Senior Month going. Right. It's all about gratitude right now. And, and like I said, there's nothing better than seeing that look in their eyes. And I do feel like our seniors are so much more appreciative um, when you take them home and give them give them that family. For sure. So, Jennifer, tell folks where, what website or where people can maybe see some of the um, the pets that are available for adoption currently, just because maybe we'll make some kind of love connection uh, in the next uh, little while here. Oh, absolutely. So we're at pinellas.gov forward slash animal services. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Pinellas Animals. Great. Uh, We're located in Largo off Omerton Road, right next to Botanical Gardens and Sunstar. And um, it's a beautiful location. You can take the dogs out. You can take the cats out of the kennels and really just spend some time with them. We are closed Thursday and Friday for the holiday, but we're here till 6 tonight and Saturday 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's so great. So uh, go online, meet your new uh, family member, and uh, go scoop them up as soon as you can, and everybody's a winner. So. Thank you so much. Jennifer, yeah, I thank really you. Hope to see some more families here. Yeah, no, with any luck, we'll, we'll get some folks out there. And, and uh, it's just such a great, great thing to do, and it's so rewarding. So thank you again, Jennifer, for joining us on Talking Animals. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in very shortly with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with yet another three hours of music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show, at the moment, as the prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song, which may or may not be related to our conversation with Emily. Talking Animals and WNS. The cowboys take position in the bushes and the grass The score is with the corporal, she is tied against the tree She doesn't mind the language, it's the beating she don't need She lets loose all the horses when the corporal is asleep all right, we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF. First of all, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanks, Vegan, to all those out there. Hope you'll join me next Wednesday when my guest will be Alexis Telfair Garcia, a social worker hired recently by Austin Pets Alive, reflecting a trend of animal shelters, adding social workers to their staffs in all kinds of interesting ways. So join us for that next Wednesday on Talking Animals on WMNF. Scott Elliott's up next after